good students of Theo 102. 102 now. Welcome Welcome. Back. Welcome to Theo 102, where we continue our exploration of Christianity, the s- Christian scriptures. We, we learned a ton about those last semester. We went from Genesis to Revelation. Some of you may be thinking, what are we even still in this class for? We're done. <laughs> we <laughs> We're did done. it already. We're done. It's just time to just live the life now. Yeah, all we need is the Bible. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you, Dr. Doak. Yeah. You are a biblical scholar. Mm. Um, why on earth do you think we should study more than the Bible? Why do we need to know what happens between like the resurrection and the ascension and now? Right. I, I immediately think of a story of when I first started coming to church. This is a really long story, but I'm not going to tell the longest version okay, of it. Tell the medium version of it. Yeah, me, medium <laughs> short, because obviously as, as our church, as our residential leader church historian for the semester, we all want to know what you think about Psh. that. But I'll tell my short story and just say well, I started coming to church of my own accord and volition. You mm-hmm. could even say I became a Christian in that sense, although, you know, when does it really begin? Hard to say. Uh, when I was a freshman in college. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, when I was a freshman in college and a sophomore in college, that was like the crucible. That's amazing. I know faith. I know that we have some students who are in that same boat right now. We, you, mm-hmm. Some of you have written to us, actually, about I know. that. I That's know. great. I okay. Know. Uh, and I, I had grown up in churches, to be clear, but I just, like, my family kind of stopped coming to church, like, during my teenage years. And we were kind of like Easter and Christmas kind of people. Mm-hmm. Like, nominally, you'd say nominally Christians. Nominally, dear students, means, like, in name, in only. name, only. name only. yeah. So, like, we were Christians in name only, basically. I'm not doubting the faith of some of my family members or, you know, anything like that. But just sure. saying it wasn't like we didn't have a clear, like, family Christian identity, which... By the way, this is part of the story of Christianity as it unfolds over the past 2,000 years is like what happens to church? Like p- a lot of people today who consider themselves Christians actually aren't an active part of any faith community. And so it raises this question like how do you – how are you a Christian? Do you just like declare it about yourself? Right. Do you have to belong to something actually? Yes, or great. Good question. Anyway, okay. So there's that. But any the story is um, I started attending church and the church that I started attending – was a style of church that we might call charismatic. Okay. Some people might call it Pentecostal, but it wasn't technically Pentecostal. It was, mm-hmm. char- it was a radical, mm-hmm. independent, charismatic church, a place where people, you know, really wanted to pray for miracles and signs and do speaking in tongues mm-hmm. and pray for deliverances from demons and just like... A lively spiritual universe. A lively spiritual universe, lively music and just lively prayer. Mm-hmm. A lot of like coming down around the altar and people like falling down and just like this is a style of Christianity probably that some students who are listening to this some people out there there might be people listening to this who aren't students in the class welcome this is called the I need to know more podcast welcome this is a class at George Fox University and we welcome you on this journey but anyway some people might not be familiar with that style of faith some people might but one one key aspect of that style of faith looking back on it in terms of your actual question is this it was the kind of style of faith that I think those of us on the inside of it at that time we kind of felt like that's a, what what you said. Why don't we? That's exactly what we thought we mm-hmm. were doing. The book of Revelation just ended, and there we were, right. like we, ready to to pick it up. We were like the first church on planet Earth, and the only church on planet Earth. Um, this story though has a little bit of a sad ending, and I'm skipping some steps here that might be disastrous for the point, but I, I hope I can still land <laughs> this plane, which is this: 
that church totally imploded mm-hmm. and was an absolute disaster of hurt, of spiritual hurt. Wow. Of spiritual abuse even. Wow. And honestly, there were a lot of reasons for that. But and, and that all happened kind of after I had moved away and moved on in life. So mm-hmm. I wasn't totally a part of that. A little bit a part of it, though. I mean, I still have some some memories, some hard, hard feelings about some of that stuff because it was just hard. But I think some of that stuff came from having this feeling like there's no tradition. Mm. There's no bigger body to which we belong. There's no greater responsibility or authority or anything. Like, in fact, all of that stuff is bad. And we're just reinventing. It was almost like people thought they were like reinventing church or reinventing God almost for the first time. I actually find that to be like spiritually dangerous. Mm. So I guess I'm going for the negative answer first, which is why, <laughs> why study? Because there are actually like, we came from somewhere and to not know that is actually like really ignorant and could even be dangerous for your faith mm. to not see where we've come from and to not situate yourself within that history in a clear way. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes reach backwards toward a primal primitive moment. Sometimes this is referred to, I think in church history circles, tell me if I'm wrong as primitivism, mm-hmm. this idea that like what Christians really should be doing is trying to just like become exactly like the early church. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if that's even spiritually true. I mean, Jesus had said to people, Hey, it's better that I leave. It's better that the spirit comes. It's better that you move forward, you know, and you could take from that an idea that this idea, like we just need to become like the book of acts. Well, in some ways, maybe, but in some ways, no, but we came from somewhere and to, to be ignorant of that history is like to be ignorant of just human history as a whole, not to have learned from it, not to have been chastened by it. it could even be dangerous. But the, I think the opposite promise is true, too. To understand it means to come alive. You know, it's funny that you mention um, a historical studies term because you're right about primitivism. Um, I I actually think about a biblical scholar, a guy named Mark Allen Powell. He's a, mm. I think he's a New Testament guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he um, he compared like thinking about um, uh, your Christian identity with some sense of history to the parable of the talents. Oh, so you know, there's this parable. I believe the students read last semester, where um, there's this this. Um, Lord who gives his servants a certain amount of wealth, talents, Mm -hmm. and some invest them wisely and they get a certain amount of return and the Lord praises them. And then there's this one servant who doesn't invest the money, but in fact buries the treasure. And then when the Lord comes back says, look, I preserved what you gave me, but he is chastised because he is right. so the the Lord basically says like what did you do with what I gave you you didn't do anything with it. Yeah. So then Mark Allen Powell says what if when Jesus the returning son of God mm-hmm. comes back and says I gave you this church what did you do with it? Yeah. And you say to Jesus we preserved nothing. exactly yeah. like you left. We basically like nothing has ever changed. Um Mark Allen Powell says I don't think that the response from Jesus would be like, hey, high five, good job for not changing anything. Actually, like there was something there to steward. So from Mm -hmm. my perspective, I think I actually really appreciate that take because I think it it says that Jesus establishes his church. We read about that in in the book of Acts Mm -hmm. and then also gives it to us in many ways to steward as well. So, you know, humans are a part of that process and it's not just us and the Christians that wrote this you know, the scriptures, it's us and 
many, many people who've right. handed it down to us. Matthew 25, Parable of the Towns, in case yeah. you want to go back and look that up. It yeah. seems like to ignore church history is an incredibly individualistic, selfish move. Yes. That would basically assume that I know everything and my church that I go to, if I go to church, we know everything. And there's no precedent for us and no one can no one can teach us anything. We just we just know. You know, well, okay, so I'll counter that with like a a church history version of that, which yeah. is there are there are groups of Christians who are known as restorationists mm. who believe that there was a point in time mm-hmm. in, in the history of Christianity where the church fell away from God. Like the church grew to be so sinful that even though like the forms of it existed, people were still doing rituals. They were still like that Christianity or the churches that purported to be Christian were so corrupt that they just were like not worth doing anymore. And so restorationists say like we need to like restore what was lost and they usually like go to the book of Acts. So I think that there are some theological reasons, like people think that the church and, and the scholarly word for, or the theological word for that is apostasy. Like the church fell into a time of apostasy. A lot of people use like, um, you know, the first few hundred years of Christianity is like, that was an okay time. Yeah, like it was perfect. Into, it was great. Yeah. Because the, because the story you're telling, it assumes that there was a point at which the church was essentially perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or I, something like it. Right, right. And it's funny because it's funny that you bring up churches that have like a really lively spiritual world because a lot of churches like that are restorationists. They believe that they're restoring right. something that has been lost. I think there are beautiful things about that too. By yeah, the way. I absolutely. I, I don't mean to suggest that there 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 weren't. There were there was. I did want to suggest though that this this myopic, this very narrow view of ourselves mm-hmm. turned dangerous when in fact we couldn't seek help, we couldn't learn from others, and the group essentially just ate itself alive. Well, yeah, I think it's kind of like so you you're describing something that to me sounds like there's clearly an illness there, right? Like there's right. something wrong that's going wrong. Right. And if you're if you go to the doctor personally and you say like I've got this problem, mm-hmm. 9 times out of 10, no, 100 times out of 100, mm-hmm. they're going to say what's your family history, right? right. And they're going right. to they're going to ask you because that will inform Right. Your care and your your thriving. Right. And if we think of the church as the body of Christ, it only makes sense that we'd oh. want to do a little bit of family history. I really like that idea of the doctor. That makes a lot of sense, the family history thing. Well, one thing for me is that like in every era, whenever you are listening to the students, there's some crisis going on. Oh, it yeah. could be anything, right? But the good thing about belonging to an ancient group is that there is a, a good chance that other people have endured this. Other people have been wise, you know, in a foolish time. They've mm-hmm. endured war. They've endured, you know, unrest and suffering, and they've come out on the other side. So mm-hmm. I like it because it's just like, I don't know about you, but I need some encouragement sometimes. Well, the story that we tell, the story of faith over the past 2,000 years from the end of the book of Revelation until now is a story of faith that makes us who we are. Kind of like your family probably has stories. Yes. I, I, I heard a short story just uh, today. I have a one one book I have on on Apple audiobooks. It's like The Greatest American Short Stories, 2019. Oh, and fun. That sounds good. I just good. heard a story by Wendell Berry. Uh, on there. It's really worth listening to, but the story is kind of a classic. Wendell Berry is a, a Kentucky author, author, a great Christian author. Yeah. But this, he, And he had a short story that made it into this Greatest American Short Stories collection. And the story is about just a story that this rural Kentucky community told and how that story went away. And long story short, basically the kinds of stories that a group tells are stories that 
make a group what it is. Mm. Like we tell our, you know, like we narrate our experience um, to ourselves. We are, we are in the technical scientific terminology, homo sapiens, wise human. Sapiens means wise. Mm. We're also homo neurons, human narrators. Like that's just part of our identity. And so to act like, you know, I, I think some of us, maybe if some of us listening here have come from like, say, a really painful or difficult family history, there may be reasons why we would want to actually forget our family stories. So true. But I think as any therapist will tell you, understanding that story and actually facing it and telling it, even if it's painful, is actually where healing is. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are stories that like you know, just think of your own family, good experiences where like a story that your family tells just over and over, like at a holiday is exactly what it means to reaffirm who you are. And without that, and without that past, your life, you know, your life of faith becomes like this huge amnesia. Like we just know nothing. Um, and by the way, there's some practical things. Like there are huge, really important Christian doctrines like the Trinity that are nowhere articulated in the Bible as such. Yes. So the, the, the church tradition and theology and that work, that hard work over hundreds of years really did produce things that are vital to Christian life today. Yeah, I, I think that's the, one of the things that I love about doing history is it is basically, I mean, okay, so one thing that I love about doing history is that it's like old gossip. You get to find out really fun and oh, interesting, yeah. cool details, and you're going to experience a lot of that um, this semester. Oh, yeah. Uh, so first off, there's like just an entertainment value, but the the bigger, deeper thing mm-hmm. is that as a Christian, if you want to understand who you are, the good and the bad, and even even just the things like, why do you do certain things as a Christian? Like, why do you believe things like the Trinity? Why do you think you should give money mm-hmm. like that? Uh, why, why do you worship on a particular day and mm-hmm. not others? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that, that are just good for you to understand about yourself. Why is there, why isn't there just one church? Like wh- exactly. That's where, a huge one. Where did denominations come from? Mm-hmm. How have Christians gotten involved in politics throughout all of the centuries and, and what have been the problems and the promise of that? Mm-hmm. How, you know, like, why are there these different, like, styles of belief today? Like, where did those come from? Things that we think are actually, like, super ancient sometimes turn out to be, like, 100 years old it's or true. less. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's, we're going to have a lot of fun. At least I will. <laughs> I'm a historian. <laughs> we're going to have, we're a, lot have a lot of fun this semester. And we're doing it um, with a, a, a great historian as our guide, a guy named Mark Knoll, who Ooh, wrote Mark a book Knoll. called Turning Points. Mm-hmm. And he has a really specific lens for helping us understand this course. And it's really in the title, which is he has chosen, curated for us, several different important turning points in the history of Christianity. So I think it's one, it's important to note that, um, so if you tell any story, you are editing along the way, right? Like Mm -hmm. I always like to, if I meet people who've been married for any amount of time, I usually ask them if I don't know them that well, how did you meet? And then I like to hear Mm -hmm. each spouse tell the story. (laughs) You get different details. So Mark Knoll is giving us the story of Christianity. Mark is an evangelical scholar. Um, and he is a scholar of American religion, so he comes at it from a particular point of view. But he's chosen some really important turning points because he's he's giving you, like, a, according to him, kind of the juicy details. Like, right. So there's so much that happens in in two millennia. <laughs> right. it, obviously, there, there are some things that are left out, but there are some really important turning points. And it's worth noting to students, uh, usually the vast majority of times, 
these are turning points that are oriented around conflict. Mm -hmm. There's some point of conflict Mm -hmm. um, in the church that the church is trying to resolve. And that's going to tell us Mm -hmm. a lot about who we are as Christians. Do you think, what if I, what if I was listening to this and Mm -hmm. I was a student and I'm like, you know, the Bible, I'm cool with the Bible, cool with Jesus. I'm a Christian. I identify that way. I kind of grew up in church, but you know, the truth is like my family, we didn't really go to church all that often. And it's been really tough, especially in these troubled days to actually like go to church and uh-huh. to find time for it. Or maybe I'm in sports or, you know, I've had students in the past tell me like their families kind of stopped going to church when they were in high school because they were in a sport and right. the sports had tournaments on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Many other reasons too. Like what if a student said, okay, but like, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm a little bit adrift right now. I don't really want to admit it. And I wouldn't want my parents to hear me say this necessarily or my grandma. But like the truth is I- I'm fine. Like believing some of the stuff in the abstract and I want to be a good person. But like, I don't even know why I would be a part of a church. Oh, like, yeah. Could, could the study of church history help if I was in that position, do you think? You know, I I think so. And I'll tell you a, a couple of things that come to mind, and then I'd love to hear from you about mm-hmm. this. Um, one of the things that I think is helpful about exploring the history of Christianity is that you find that the Christian tradition is deep and wide. Mm-hmm. So there are many different expressions of Christianity that I guarantee are are going to feel very different from whatever you may or may not have grown up in or that even if you didn't grow up in a particular church that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and when I say that, I, I think the benefit um, of that for students is that um, you may have grown up in a particular church, like you mentioned, that is a source of pain. Like, unfortunately, there are churches that yeah. hurt people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to know, and this tr- this course will explore, um, you know, students ca- will have an opportunity to explore this, that there are many different expressions of the body of Christ. So you may have mm. grown up in something that is just not your thing that you find to be painful. It might be bad for you. Um, that is not the only expression of Christianity. And mm. so I, for, for students who are like, I love God. I am excited about the Bible. I don't think I've really landed in a particular form of Christianity, I, I think, man, you're in a great season of your life mm-hmm. for discernment. Like consider this not a moment, not necessarily a moment of rejecting um, Christianity or going to church, but an opportunity to explore. So if it's not what you grew up in, then mm-hmm. maybe it's something else. That, that's the first thing that comes totally. to Totally. I have on that note, I have watched people, people I've known in my life, close to me, friends who have really really, really gotten a very sour taste in their mouth about faith, even left faith. And the things that they said they were looking for, I guess, having studied a little church history, having attended different churches, having kind of been out there in the world a little bit, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, but what you're saying you want exists. It totally does. It's it all probably over the place. does. It doesn't yeah. exist maybe in exactly this church you chose to go to. Now, this is where it gets deep psychologically, though, because sometimes the reasons we say we're doing something aren't always the real reasons. Right. So like... You could like, you know, maybe I like break up with a girlfriend in high school and I say, it's because of this. You never listen to me. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll st- listen. I'll start I'll now. I'll start now. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, too bad. I don't care. You know, it's like, yeah. it wasn't about the listening really. It was about something else or, you know, there was somebody else or, you know, whatever. Sure. Right. Like, so I think sometimes we, sometimes, you know, some of us who s- want to be Christians, who say that we're Christians who are, who are trying to be Christians are like, you know, we have to ask ourselves really seriously, like, are we willing to put in the work and the discipline it would actually take to be an actual part of the body of Christ? The yes. church being in a church 
whatever that looks like, many different ways, is what it means to be part of the body of Christ, not just proclaiming that you believe something in thin air. Yeah, I think that that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that's really weird for American Christians to come to grips with is the fact that this idea that um, when you go to a church, most most of the time when you go to a church in the States, there are like churchy people, volunteers, staff members, whatever, Mm -hmm. who are falling all over themselves to welcome you in and right. trying to make sure that they sell this version of Christianity to you. A lot of marketing. Goes a lot on. of marketing. And so I think it's important for students to know that for most of the, <laughs> the, the history of Christianity, the church hasn't really been that like a, a product to sell. It has been a source of divine life and salvation from hell. (laughs) So if you think that that's what Christianity is, like that you're going to find the person of Jesus who will deliver you from death and destruction, you kind of approach it differently. So I I would encourage uh, students to consider, like, do I really think that Jesus is the savior of the world and is his church like his his presence on earth? Then I want to seek that out like I want to find out what that's about um you know so I think that that's just a it's a weird quirk in American Christianity where we have this this way of doing church that kind of treats um in in many ways and in many scenarios treats um church going like it's um something to sell to people I I think too it needs to be said it's gonna maybe ruffle some feathers Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go there student listener if you think that being a Christian is about maybe reading parts of the Bible and sort of privately believing things, that's not Christianity, actually. And actually, that is not a recognizable form of Christianity for most of the history of Christianity and would only be recognizable in an, in, in an extremely isolated, individualistic sort of approach, which is probably not the one really that your soul wants not really what you need right lonely it's lonely it's lonely it's it's disembodied it doesn't involve any of the prayer and support and community it doesn't involve that tangible body of christ that we are to live in that's what's so exciting to me about this this course this Mm. this this semester this journey is we're going to basically talk about this thing that we keep mentioning this phrase the church 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 is it a building is it people what is it like we're going to talk about what is the church well I'm really excited about this because I, I remember this one moment where it kind of blew my mind when I started um, studying the history of Christianity. When I realized, so Christians make this very strange claim mm-hmm. that Jesus is resurrected and also the church, um, like people who belong to Jesus, mm-hmm. are somehow after death living in the presence of God mm-hmm. at some point. And, um, you know, they argue about the details about that. But mm-hmm. That basically means that the Christians who've gone before us, who are are dead, are actually like with us. Yes. That just totally blew my mind. So it's we are, um, you know, Christians have living Mm -hmm. um, fellow Christians to walk with and learn from and also the people who have died. And Mm -hmm. in fact, students are going to be reading this week one of the earliest um, write like living writing or uh, the earliest surviving writings that are not considered part of the Christian scriptures, the canon. Um, and so you're gonna learn from people who went before you, um, in this this uh, a, a section of a writing that's called the Didache, which is I think a really fun window into like what was life 
like for early Christians? It is um, a great piece of writing because it shows us how Christians, the vast majority of whom um, in the early days were Jewish, Mm -hmm. um, how are they negotiating their identity as Christians. Mm-hmm. How do you like live together? Right. So the Didache, um, it, it's um, an ancient Greek word that means like teaching. Mm-hmm. So these are teachings from um, the, the ancient church on basically how to live as a church with mm-hmm. the idea that the church is going global really quick. Wow. So the subtitle, The Lord's Teaching Through the Twelve Apostles to the Nations, oh. makes you think of, at least it makes me think of, the Great Commission where mm-hmm. Jesus tells everyone, um, or he tells his his followers to go and make disciples, and so mm-hmm. they go. Mm-hmm. And then here we get a teaching um, from the early church on just how to live together. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. This is great. No, that, that helps a lot. And just to realize that like these early Christian communities were in jerusalem they were in the middle east they were in syria they were in turkey that's right like you know and and i don't know this says something about the origins of christianity in a place but also about the quick diversity that christianity achieved yeah throughout the mediterranean world like sometimes because i'm white and i'm a male i think of these ancient people like as though they're like these bearded white people in these cloaks but like yeah i don't think that people who lived in first century syria were white that's right yeah, yeah. So um, I think that it's really helpful to know. I, I so appreciate you bringing that up, that the this is from, this is a totally different cultural context. Right. And I like to, th- I, I get excited about it because, I mean, some people will date it as late as the second century, but most people think it's the first century. So this is like wow. the very first generation of, of Christians. Wow. So let's read what they were thinking about, how talking we gonna, about. How are we going to read? Sentence by sentence? Word, yeah, by, word by word. <laughs> word by word would be so weird. Yeah, let's do, sentence, weird. Let's do sentence. sentence by sentence. Yeah, that's good. Okay. <laughs> you start. You start. Okay. The two ways and the first commandment. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. The way of life then is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And do not do to another what you would not want done to you. And of these sayings, the teaching is this. Bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies and fast for those who persecute you. For what reward is there for loving those who love you? Do not Gentiles do the same? But love those who hate you and you shall not have an enemy. Abstain from fleshly and worldly lusts. If someone strikes your right cheek, turn to him the other also and you shall be perfect. If someone impresses you for one mile, go with him too. If someone takes your cloak, give him your cloak. If someone takes from you what is yours, ask it not back, for indeed you are not able. Give to everyone who asks you, and ask it not back. For the Father wills that all should be given of our own blessings, free gifts. Happy is he who gives according to the commandment, for he is guiltless. Woe to him who receives, for if one receives who has need, he is guiltless. But he who receives not having need shall pay the penalty, why he received and for what. In coming into confinement, he shall be examined concerning the things which he has done, and he shall not escape from there until he pays back the last penny. And also concerning this, it has been said, let your alms sweat in your hands until you know to whom you should give. 
Dang, they're coming down. <laughs> they're coming down heavy on the giving. Serious business. They're coming down heavy. On, okay, the first thing I noticed about this yes. is that a lot of this sounds like stitched together quotes from Jesus. Jesus-y, yeah. From the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. That's so... I, I noticed that too, and it made me think about what was happening in this time, which is there wasn't like the Bible that we have today. Mm-hmm. So Christian teachings, the teachings of Jesus, the letters from Paul, they were floating around in the ancient world, but there was no lockdown. Uh, students will remember from your talk about the canon that mm-hmm. there was no canon as we know it now. Right. So it would probably be pretty common for people, maybe from memory. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were people who actually were there hearing Jesus saying this stuff, remembering some of those like top headlines right. <laughs> from Great, Jesus. Like greatest hits. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the ones that they thought really needed telling you know what's so weird about this is that they're the ones that they thought we needed telling are straight from the sermon on the mount which is very very practical it's about Mm -hmm. ethics yeah it's about how to live your life like they didn't go for like mystical kind of stuff that is interesting they went straight like i noticed i felt like reading this i was like man this sounds so like it sounds so like old i don't know like old-fashioned or it's all about like things that you do it's about like works it's like stuff that you carry out and it works as a theologically loaded term, which can mean something totally different from what I'm saying now. But like it's about stuff that you do is my point and about giving and about money. I, I thought that that was really interesting, too. And I think it speaks to like if you think about, you know, the early church, it must have been quite a, a very scary time. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are these groups of people who um, are frequently misunderstood in their mm-hmm. cultural context and their they're scared. Mm-hmm. They need to stick together, but mm-hmm. maybe they're not sure how. And so I, I hear the ethics thing as a, just a really practical way to build and maintain a, a group of Christians, right? Like you need to love God, right. love your neighbor, abstain from fleshly worldly lusts, mm-hmm. be at peace with people. Like if, you know, don't, don't respond violently. Right. Um, yeah. But there is a lot of stuff about money. Isn't that why, interesting? Why do you think I mean, just if you were to step back from a moment, even from Christianity and think more just like religion in general, like why do religions tend to tell people what to do with their money and then like bridge it to Christianity? Okay. Two part question. Like why, why the connection between like religion, just like believing in God? Like why does God care? What, why, do, why does any God care what anyone does with their money? And then like what, like, like how does this, why is this so important for Christians that this keeps coming up? Oh, whoa. Well, I feel like I can only answer the first part of the question yeah. in relationship to the, the, so the second. second they're tied together yeah go for so it any way that you want it's probably a dumb a it's, it's a d- anytime you compound <laughs> questions you stack questions it's the worst <laughs> it's the worst question asking method is to be like Thanks. four part question part <laughs> four and respond in order respond in yeah, order it's okay so just like why does god care about our money is really what uh, the question is yeah well okay so there's a a person that we won't learn about until later in the semester a guy named john wesley who's credited with saying that the last part of a of a man to convert is his wallet, Ooh, which is, brutal. yeah, it's pretty, I, I love quotes like that. Cause they're just like, they get right to the point. And I mean, I think we, I could have just quoted Jesus about you can't serve God in money, mm-hmm. which may or may not be a reference to an ancient God. So I think this idea of like wealth, mm-hmm. at least for Christians is always a, a danger. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone's telling you that, you know, you should be a Christian because you will like all of a sudden amass wealth. You should be a little nervous about that, you know, because money Mm. (laughs) tends to be like, it's not the, it's not the root of evil. It's the love of money. But like this idea of wealth is almost always seen as like a, a, 
um, a potential minefield wow. for the believer. But you, I feel like you could answer the first question better because you know a lot about non-Christian ancient traditions. Like the idea that you would uh, give some sort of material wealth to God is common, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the most, the simplest answer is just that, you know, like, yeah, Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I found that to be so true in my own life, like where you put your money, it's going to make a big difference as, as far as like, you know, the money is like the horse in that saying, and mm. you are on the cart and the mm-hmm. horse is dragging the cart around. So the decisions that you make about your phys- your material possessions, whether that's, you know, physical money, like cash in the bank or just like things that you have. That tells uh, you where your heart is. You know, you know what makes me really nervous about this? What? Just a moment of like spiritual hashtag vulnerability here. <laughs> be hashtag vulnerable. I'm going to be hashtag vulnerable, not actually vulnerable, but like <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, a thought occurred to me as you were talking and I was like, what if there was just an analysis done of how faithful I've been to God and it was on no basis whatsoever, none of my prayers? Oh, none, oh you know where I'm going with this, right? I do. It was just a pure analysis of how I've spent money Whoa. over the past, say, five years. And on that basis, you would try to figure out, like, am I actually a Christian? I know that that's maybe not the only way and that's not fair, but like, what if you did it? Just that. Could you even tell? Would there even be anything in my habits of spending and how I've treated my treasure, such as it is on earth, that would even suggest? That I'm a follower of Jesus and not just a consumer, you know, trying to make trying to make a buck, trying to live a comfortable life kind of dude in America today. Well, can I expand that? Because you're definitely that 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 got to me. I want to expand that to the entire thing that we've just been talking about, like the the ethics mm-hmm. thing. Like it is there if someone were to look at all the things that I have done mm-hmm. or not done any of us. Mm-hmm. And seen like, you know, this this running list, mm-hmm. like, did I abstain from fleshly worldly lust? Did I when when someone um, struck me, did I not return in kind? Right. Did I give generously? Like, wh- is what I am doing with my life? And may I, maybe we should ask all students. It, could anyone tell that you were following the teachings of, of Jesus? To see this, to see this, er, you know, you see this all over the Bible. As we as we said, this paragraph we read is kind of a lot of it is stitched together from the Bible, and then mm-hmm. some of it comes, you know, is, is is the author's own kind of composition. But to see the earliest Christians focusing on this is really it's challenging. Challenge. It's really challenging because this doesn't always sound like the kind of, you know, marketed entertainment faith that I've sometimes gotten used to partaking in. Yeah, these Christians are hardcore. We're just getting started.